Welcome to the Face-Offs and Fantasy Podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. Welcome to Episode 7. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about some follow-up news in regards to the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. We're going to quickly mention Bill Guerin investigation. We're going to jump into the Jack Eichel trade. We're going to discuss our thoughts on the Chicago Blackhawks hockey team right now and their performance on the ice. We're going to discuss uh, the Kraken and the retirement of number 32 and some new contracts that were signed. And then we'll follow up with some Leafs talk. And uh, in the second half of the pod, we will do our fantasy conversations. So, Marcus, I'm going to start off the podcast here. I just wanted to follow up a little bit from the conversations from last week. So, in terms of the scandal, hopefully everybody's heard of it at this point. It's been in the news. It's been frontline and center for pretty much every single person that's related to hockey. Hopefully you listened to our last episode where we discussed it uh, when we had Kevin on the podcast and the three of us discussed that together. This week, I just wanted to kind of mention a couple small things. One thing I forgot to mention last week that you know we can just touch on very briefly here is uh, Mark Bergevin was also somebody who was involved with the Blackhawks organization at that time. He was not one of the six people in the room during that conversation that took place, but he was the head of player personnel at the time. So a lot of people are wondering how the head of player personnel wouldn't know about and wouldn't be aware of something that happened to one of the players. So a lot of the noise and and kind of, I don't know, I guess assumptions that are coming out of this is there's two ways to look at it. Number one, he truly didn't know, which on one hand is good because that means he didn't necessarily know it was happening and didn't have a chance to act on it. But at the same time, as the head of player personnel to not know that something like this was happening is just in terms of not being very good at your job and not being aware and not speaking to the players. So it's also looked at here as either he knew and he did nothing, which is bad, or he didn't know. But obviously that's not a good thing for somebody who is in the role of player personnel. And then a lot of people are kind of making these connections of, well, you know, we can probably assume he had heard. I was just going to say Mark Bergevin is the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, for those of you who do not know. Yes, that is a very good point. Sorry. So he is still working in the NHL today, uh, which is why this point has come up. And and that's something that I want to touch base on. And the reason it's also important is because as the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens this past offseason, with their first overall selection in the draft, they selected Logan Mayu. And Logan Mayu was somebody who, if you're not familiar He sent explicit photos without the consent of the person that was involved with the photos that he took and participated in. And so he was actually going through in terms of having to reflect and to think on what he did. And basically he shared inappropriate photos without consent. So he actually broke the law and he did things he wasn't supposed to do as one of the things that he had mentioned in the offseason is he actually asked NHL teams not to draft him this year in the NHL draft to let him reflect on this for a year, to let him work on this for a year, and then next draft, essentially, he was going to see if he would be able to get drafted. Apparently, in the NHL, you can't actually revoke yourself or take yourself out of a draft, which is pretty crazy. Like in the NBA and the NFL, I believe you can if you've declared for the draft you can actually rescind that Uh, but apparently in the NHL that's not a thing so he told teams not to draft him but he also couldn't stop them from drafting him and the the Montreal Canadiens and Mark Bergevin who's the GM drafted him in the first round and they got a lot of negative press 
to the point where Jeff Molson, who is the president, uh, CEO, like he owns the Montreal Canadiens, he's the owner of the team, he had to come out and make a statement. And so people are starting to like make this connection of maybe Bergevin did know in Chicago and maybe this is kind of just the person he is where he does put hockey above everything else. And maybe this Logan Mayu situation is almost a little bit similar to the situation that happened in Chicago where he really does think about hockey above everything else. Not to, again, put words in people's mouths because we don't know that for sure, but that's the speculation that's kind of come out. And at the end of the day, like we said, if he didn't know about what happened in Chicago, that's also negligence on his part as the head of player personnel. So either way, this is not looking good for Mark Bergerman, but somehow his name has stayed out of this completely. And as far as I'm aware, he is not being investigated and there's no conversations happening between him and the league in terms of his employment. Yeah, that was just a quick little something we forgot to mention last time that I wanted to include this time. Was there anything you wanted to add to that, Marcus? Uh, no, I think you've covered that point. And you're going to talk about uh, the Bill Guerin situation. Yeah, so the next thing I want to talk about was the Bill Guerin investigation. This came out, um, I guess, the week after everything that happened with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks scandal and Kyle Beach coming forward. The other thing we didn't mention a whole, like we talked about the John Doe 2 being the high school student. Uh, recently, Rick Westhead actually did an interview with that John Doe 2's mother. Um, so if you're interested in listening to that, they did put out a YouTube clip. It's really sad, really sad to hear it, but it's also very powerful. So if if you're able to, I would suggest listening to that. I listened to it before the podcast. Very emotional. But Bill Guerin is the general manager of the Minnesota Wild right now. And two years ago, three years ago, Marcus? Because he's only been there for two years now, I believe, right? Yeah, he's pretty recent. Pretty recent. So prior to coming to the Minnesota Wild as their general manager, so the number one guy, he was in Pittsburgh as an assistant general manager. And in his role as assistant general manager, he was actually in charge of the general manager of the... Wilkes Bear Scranton, which is the AHL affiliate team. So the American Hockey League team, that's the team just below the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what came forth is there's an open investigation right now where a former assistant coach and his wife are actually suing the Pittsburgh Penguins and they're suing Bill Guerin and they're suing um, the owners as well. So I believe Mario Lemieux is also getting sued because there was an alleged sexual assault that happened where the head coach of that AHL affiliate team, Clark Donatelli, allegedly sexually assaulted Aaron Scaldi, which is the wife of the then assistant coach, Jared Scaldi. And so this is just to me kind of the idea here where the Kyle Beach situation is not a one-off. And unfortunately, I think that it's going to be the beginning of quite a few stories that end up coming out because there's a lot of people in this league, unfortunately, who have purposefully made things quiet and have purposely tried to bury things in the past. And I honestly think that the Kyle Beach situation with the Chicago Blackhawks and his assault is going to be a conversation starter for a lot of people. And I think it's going to give people the, I don't want to say confidence, but maybe a little bit more of a reason to come forward because this is a time where there is a lot of scrutiny and there is a micro lens on a lot of these situations. So we'll see what happens in this situation, but the reason it's connected and the reason we're talking about it is twofold. Number one is because this is another disturbing 
story that's coming out in the hockey world and specifically relating to NHL people who have powers and positions of powers in the NHL trying to make things quiet. And so the idea here is Jared Scaldi, who was the assistant coach, his wife, Aaron Scaldi, was sexually assaulted by the then head coach, Clark Donatelli, allegedly. And he, as in Jared Scaldi, the assistant coach, went to Bill Guerin and went to the Pittsburgh Penguins and told them what happened. And the response from the Pittsburgh Penguins, and in particular Bill Guerin, according to Jared Scaldi, was to keep quiet. They were going to deal with it internally. They essentially asked Clark Donatelli to step down, to re- resign from his position. Very eerie, very similar to the Kyle Beach situation. And not even two years later, Jared Scaldi ended up getting fired, ended up getting let go by the Pittsburgh Penguins. And in his let go, I guess they would have either an exit interview or maybe the actual paperwork itself when they file it with the league. They said that they fired him for COVID-related reasons. But now Jared Scaldi is basically claiming that he was told by the regime that was there, including Bill Guerin, to not say anything about the situation. And if he did say something about the situation, there would quote-unquote be you know consequences to those actions now I don't know if those words were actually said to Jared Scaldi but he certainly is implying that that's the case to the point where he is suing the Pittsburgh Penguins for wrongful dismissal so he's basically saying the reason he got fired has nothing to do with COVID and it's because he spoke up on behalf of his wife Aaron Scaldi and as a result of making a stink about it and rightfully so telling them they need to do something about a sexual assault that happened with one of their coaches, he was let go. So not only is Erin Scaldi dealing with and is a survivor of sexual assault, but now her husband, Jared Scaldi, is also fighting against the same regime to basically prove that he was let go for wrong the wrong reasons. And so this entire family, this like Erin and Jared Scaldi, like I feel so bad for these two and what they had to endure and what they had to go through. And if... Bill Guerin and others at in Pittsburgh were responsible for quieting this down and for purposefully making these people be quiet. This is honestly very similar to what happened in Chicago. And so I think you'll see a bit of a reckoning take place there. And the second connection, because way long ago when I started this, I said there were two connections. The second one is that Stan Bowman, who was the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, that ended up stepping down because of everything that took place with Chicago, he also stepped down from the position of general manager of USA Hockey. For those of you not familiar, there is an Olympic season coming up this year in this hockey season, and Bill Guerin was the assistant general manager, actually he still is, the assistant general manager for the U.S. Olympic hockey team. And a lot of people were saying when Stan Bowman stepped down, Bill Guerin was probably going to be promoted to general manager. Now that's been on pause. He hasn't officially been announced as the general manager of the USA Olympic hockey team. And it's probably to do with the fact that he is currently under investigation. And if he did commit or do the things that he is being accused of doing, then he should absolutely not be in any positions of power, not with the Minnesota Wild, not with any other NHL team, and surely not with the U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. Just overall takeaway from this is, again, it's 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 disturbing. Like, how many of these situations have taken place in the NHL? How many times have there been people in positions of power who have done this in the past? And it's, 
it's hard because it's guys who have connections through and through. Like Stan Bowman's dad, Scotty Bowman, was in the NHL for years, like decades and decades. Bill Guerin was a hockey player in the NHL before he got into management and became an assistant general manager and manager. So these are guys that have been close to and involved with the NHL for decades and decades, basically their entire lives. And I'm starting to wonder, is this just ingrained? Is this something where they learned from the previous generation and now they're being the ones who are doing the wrong thing and they're perpetuating these terrible decisions and these terrible choices? When does that cycle break is basically my question. And so this is something to me where I really don't see this as the end. I see this as the beginning. I think Kyle Beach's bravery and his courage coming forward and speaking up about what happened to him is going to lead to more people coming forward and more people feeling comfortable speaking up about what took place to them. And I don't think the NHL is a very conducive environment to a lot of these people. And I think that they were involved with this. A lot of these teams were involved with covering stuff up. So do you have any thoughts on this, Marcus? Yeah, just to echo what you're saying, unfortunately, the NHL is kind of a old boys club in that sense where you know a lot of people with connections get hired and if something bad happens you know it's just hush hush kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas type thing where you know we're not going to talk about it and everyone's kind of because everyone's friends and is connected they will kind of all go with the crowd or go with the herd and and not really speak up so it is kind of unfortunate hopefully the NHL slowly or you know can move not necessarily slowly but hopefully the nhl can move towards a more progressive or to have progressive people in positions of power to help implement change because uh, like you said you know scotty bowman is the most winningest coach in the nhl and his son stan bowman like you said he's the the gm of chicago or was the gm of chicago and and Bill Guerin used to play in the NHL and probably was groomed to be an executive after his playing career. Yeah, it's it's really sad. And I mean, I think I would even further one of your points about them being quiet. I think it's the like the worst part of it is not just being quiet, but it's like actively silencing other people. Like there's so many stories where they're basically people are coming forward and telling them about these things and being quiet is one thing, but then like trying to make everybody else be quiet to make sure nothing comes out. Like that's actively silencing people. And I think that's even worse. So I, I think you're right. I think there has to be a slow change. I don't think it's something that can happen overnight, unfortunately. But, you know, I think of some of the positives, like think about Kyle Dubas and what happened last year in the playoffs with John Tavares. You could see how upset and how emotional Kyle Dubas was when John Tavares got injured. He, like, it was so obvious and evident on his face, on his reaction. You know, he talked about it in some interviews. He immediately picked up the phone and was, it was calling Tavares' wife to give her updates. And then when they interviewed him afterwards about it, he said, yeah, you know, like, this had nothing to do with hockey. Like, this had to do with a human being. This had to do with him. I want to make sure his wife is in the loop. He has young kids at home. Like, that reaction is what... Uh, you know, what a GM should be doing for their players. And I, I honestly, you know, I mean, you know, it's the hypotheticals, but I can't see somebody like Kyle Dubas having somebody come in and tell him that they were sexually assaulted by a member of their team and him not doing anything about it. 
So again, I guess I shouldn't, you know, put words in people's mouths and talk too much about hypothetical situations, but I think the reaction that he had last year in the playoffs with John Tavares getting injured was a perfect example of some of the newer, younger executives coming in who have a different style and have a different mentality. And I think more people in the NHL need to take note of that. And I think more people like Kyle Dubas should be in charge of hockey teams or should be in positions of power in the NHL. I don't know how you feel about that, Marcus, but that was certainly the impression I got after watching the situation that arose with uh, John Tavares. I totally agree with you. You know, uh, when Kyle Dubas was anointed GM, he was like one of the youngest GMs uh, in NHL history. And it is like, I guess that's the new movement or what they were saying at that time. You know, there's all these young kids coming in. I think John Chaka uh, was also pretty young when he was hired um, by Phoenix. Unfortunately, you know, his tenure didn't turn out too successful or his departure. But, you know, there's there's definitely young blood that uh, is coming into the NHL. And, you know, if Kyle Dubas um, has more success, other teams may look to some younger GMs to bring in rather than just keep hiring the same old guys. Not that they're bad, but, you know, like you were saying, you know, the newer blood, the younger uh, generation has different uh, perspectives and um, they can, you know, they hopefully would be able to kind of stop what's happening in the NHL. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and I don't want to sound ageist or, or be ageist here either because I really do think people can change and I think people can change their opinions and the way that they do things. Like, you know, I, I even think about somebody like John, John Tortorella and like the way that he was when he coached the Tampa Bay Lightning and then, you know, some of the transitions he had over the years. And, you know, he was always kind of like a harder coach and demanded a lot from his players. But you know he had to adapt and he had to change in order to survive and continue to be a coach in the NHL. Like there's no way if he stayed the exact same as he was near the beginning of his career as a coach that he would have coached for as long as he did, right? And even that, like in the inter- they interviewed him after the whole situation with Kyle Beach and one of his responses was like talking to the six guys in the room, what if that was your son? What if Kyle Beach was your son and they came to you and they said this happened? Would you have dealt with that differently? So even somebody like John Tortorella, who's been in the league for a long time and, you know, has a track record for being a fairly difficult, you know, uh, I don't want to say difficult person, but like a very hard, um, you know, he expects a lot from people. Very demanding. Yeah. Yeah, very demanding. And even someone like that, you can see how they've adapted over time. And the fact that he even said that live on air Like you can tell he's really thinking it through and he's not just doing the same old thing he used to do over and over again. So I agree that there could be some newer, like younger blood that comes in, but it doesn't necessarily have to be younger. It could be guys that are reflecting and are learning and are adapting and are changing. It just can't be the same old that it's been this whole time. And I understand saving positions in executives and in other roles for ex-NHL players and you want to be able to bring them in. And I don't have a problem with that so long as they're able to reflect and they're able to adapt and they're able to change with the times. But if you just keep bringing in the same guys who have gone through the same things over and over, who have grown up in that environment of win at all costs, what do you think they're going to do when they're in charge of a team or when they're talking in front of a camera? You know, like there has to be a little bit more thought process going into 
who you're hiring and it's not just all about winning at all costs you have to also consider you're developing young men young boys that are coming into your system and you're trying to make them good people and good men overall right because a lot of times people forget about the other things that happen outside of hockey where a lot of these guys are involved in community outreach programs and they donate a lot of money and they go and they visit hospitals like there's more to it than just the game and i think fostering that as a whole environment within your system as an nhl team could really bring a lot of positive change, not just off the ice, but on the ice as well. So we'll see what happens. I do think it is going to be a slower process. I don't think it's something that can happen overnight, but certainly hearing now about these other things coming out, like with Bill Guerin, for example, I really don't see this as the end. I think it's just the beginning and that's kind of sad to say, but I do hope that some of these guys who are in these positions and have been there for a while they're taking notes and I hope they're paying attention and I hope they're learning and they're going to adapt and they're going to change some of the approaches that they've had in the past because it can't be like it's been. It has to change. Well said. All right, we're going to make a, another hard right turn here. We're going to move on from the conversations we were just having and we're going to discuss some big news in hockey terms right now was Jack Eichel formerly of the Buffalo Sabres, has officially been traded to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So Marcus, can you tell us what the trade actually was? And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. For sure. The trade for Jack Eichel is, I believe it's uh, the Buffalo Sabres will receive Alex Tuck, who is currently injured right now, Peyton Krebs, uh, who was their first pick, first round pick in 20 i want to say 19 and two conditional draft picks for jack eichel and a conditional pick so the conditional picks uh for the golden knights are as or for sorry for buffalo is if the golden knights uh first round pick in 2022 is not in the top 10 the sabers get the selection and Vegas's second round pick in 2023 while the Knights get the Buffalo's third round pick in 2023 so that would be basically Buffalo moving up from their third round to Vegas's second round pick essentially in 2023 and then if Vegas's first round pick in 2022 is in the top 10 then the Sabres get Vegas's first round pick in 2023 and a second round pick in 2024, while the Knights get Buffalo's third round pick in 2024. So it's basically the same picks, just delayed a year if the pick is in the top 10. Right. So it's a top 10 protected pick. That's what they would call it. For one season, yes. For one season, yeah. So... Yeah. So what do you think? Who won the trade? Are you happy with it for both sides or do you have an opinion? It's hard to say who won the who won the trade so far. Uh, it's still very fresh. I think uh, this is good for Jack Eichel in that he's going to get to get his surgery that he wants and he can move forward with his career. I think it's good for Buffalo in that they didn't have to retain any salary from Jack Eichel's contract. And again, they get to move forward with their franchise and not be um, stuck with a $10 million player that doesn't want to get the surgery that they want. And they, you know, they were just basically at a standstill 
um, and they do get some other assets and they get a first first round pick whether it be in 2022 or 2023 and they get a to move up a pick as well from the third round to the second round and they also receive Alex Tuck who was part of uh, Vegas's expansion I believe he was selected from Minnesota he's um, still fairly young I think he's what 25 he is a pretty skilled forward I think on Vegas with their depth on the wing he didn't really get as much opportunity to perform he did have a pretty good season I don't think it was last season I think the season prior and then also they also get a first round pick or a former first round pick in Peyton Krebs who's still very young and can turn out pretty well so I think all in all both sides kind of get what they're looking for and you know again well we'll see how Jack Eichel after a surgery how he returns you know I think no offense to Chandler Stevenson but he doesn't scream first line center to me so they'll have a bona fide stud in Jack Eichel hopefully he returns to form and he'll be ripping it up in Vegas (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I agree with you um yeah I I think there's a couple things to talk about with this is like one thing that comes to mind for me is did Buffalo rush this? And what I mean by that is because, you know, it might sound funny to hear that considering Eichel hasn't played since like March of last year or whatever the date was where he got injured and stopped playing. But what I mean by that is more so it's hard to trade a $10 million cap hit in the middle of a season. In the middle of a season, play like teams are kind of, especially contending teams are usually close to the cap limit and being able to maneuver enough cap space to fit a $10 million player is not always the easiest thing. So I wonder at first thought, like at first glance, if Buffalo had waited till the summertime, would there maybe have been more interest and would there have been more teams where they had players who became unrestricted free agents and they had a better idea of what their cap space looked like. Could they have gotten a better deal? I don't know the answer to that. I think it's at least a consideration of maybe if they waited, there would have been more teams interested because it sounded like the only two like really serious teams at the end were Calgary and Vegas. I wonder if that would have opened up a little bit more had they waited until the summertime. Yeah, Sean, I oh, I just want to say, go off with, with what you're saying. Yeah, I think... Um... Vegas or sorry Buffalo should have traded him in this past offseason I think they already knew he want he needed surgery and uh, he wanted a certain surgery and I don't think the team wanted to give it to him then let alone now and they, I think yeah. they had the opportunity to trade him in this summer but I think maybe it par- could partly be ownership didn't want to let go of him as yet or they thought that they could potentially change his mind or something or just kind of weighed him out hopefully but yeah i think i think the buffalo sabers knew this summer that they could have traded him so yeah i think the return that they got probably wasn't as high as what they could have gotten if they had traded him in the offseason like you said teams right now are pretty handcuffed by the salary cap and um, during the summer there's definitely a lot more flexibility they can make a lot more moves they can make other moves to allow to be able to absorb a $10 million contract. Yeah, for sure. 
I think the only reason they didn't this offseason is I don't think they got the deals they were looking for because if you remember, it was only recently that the Sabres let other teams look at his medical documents. Mm -hmm. So I think once teams had a chance to look at those medical documents and said, we feel comfortable with him getting his chosen or his preferred surgery, that's when the trade assets probably started to increase but to then, a point where it was at least something they were acceptable in terms of Buffalo wanting to accept it. Yeah. But then like what, again, going off that is like, they knew the whole circumstance before in the summer, they knew that he wanted this, they didn't want to do that. And, you know, they basically stopped it themselves. They, if they wanted to, I'm sure they could have, they would have released it earlier. Yeah. I mean, it was a stalemate is yeah. what it was. At the end of the day, they they both wanted something different, and I think both people waited too long <laughs> mm -hmm. to a certain degree. But then that's why I said my point is kind of funny because I'm saying now that they waited so long, it almost would have made more sense to wait again until the summer just to see if there was, you know, more teams that might have been interested. But yeah. at the end of the day, it took place and it happened. And the trade itself to me seems fairly reasonable because the second point I want to bring up is we're just assuming that Jack Eichel is going to be Jack Eichel when he returns from the surgery. And yeah. as, as safe as the surgery is in the context of, you know, lots of people have had the surgery before and successful surgery. And I believe it is most common in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time it will have been done to an NHL player. So it's not totally, you know, risk-free in that sense. And it's possible he gets the surgery and it's possible he comes back and he's not the player he once was. So I can see where there would be a little more hesitation from teams to fork up a lot when there still is that risk factor of he could potentially come back and not be the Jack Eichel that we remember. So who knows? I think from all accounts, it certainly sounds like he's confident and the doctor's for the Vegas Golden Knights must be confident and obviously this is something they're thinking won't affect him too drastically once he has it completed. I mean, even I, if you get Jack Eichel 95% or 90% <laughs> of Jack Eichel, I, yeah. mean, I think he's still a phenomenal player, right? He was arguably, I mean, he was second to, to only Connor McDavid in his draft. Yeah. One of the top American players. He would probably be on Team Canada as well if he was Canadian. Team USA. Yeah, Although, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying he's he's an American player. I'm saying, yeah. I'm just comparing him if he's if he's on Team Canada because you know I guess that's the measuring stick, Team Canada. But I'm saying he's still, a, <laughs> hey, <laughs> he's still uh, an outstanding player. Who thinks going to win the Olympics, Marcus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Team Canada. That's why I'm saying he, they're the measuring <laughs> stick. That's what you compare yourself against. To speaking of Olympics, though, uh, from what I've heard, the recovery time from the surgery could be anywhere from three to six months. So it sounds like he'll probably miss the Olympics at this point. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he'll be back in time to be on Team USA, which certainly he would make the team if he was available and healthy. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like maybe this is something where he might not quite be back in time for the Olympics, but certainly sounds like he'll be back this hockey season. So That's that'll crazy. be good news for Vegas. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier, Stevenson is their current number one center. Um, no offense to Chandler Stevenson. He's a good hockey player, but this is clearly an upgrade in the exactly. number one center position. So now you're going to have Eichel playing with Pacioretty and Mark Stone. That is a Quite dangerous line. <laughs> line. Dangerous line. Um, so yeah, so we'll see how it goes. I think 
the actual trade itself because I've just been talking about the kind of stuff on the side here. One thing to note is Buffalo now has five first round draft picks in the next two drafts. So they have the Florida Panthers first round pick, which they got for Sam Reinhart. They also are going to receive Vegas's first round pick now for Jack Eichel, whether this year or next year. They have their own first round pick as well. And then next season, so 2023 draft, they got a first round pick for Rasmus Ristolainen from the Philadelphia Flyers. So they have a ton, a ton of picks coming up and they already have a pretty good prospect pool as well. And I think Krebs just adds to that. He's like a six foot winger. He's pretty big. He's got the size. He's got the skill. I think he was like a 17th overall pick in 2019. So again, that's somebody who could potentially turn out to be a decent player. And at the end of the day, whether they waited or not, I think this just needed to happen. I think it was time for both of them to move on. Eichel had to move on because he had to get the surgery and now he needs the three to six months in order to recover and get back on the ice. Like the longer this held out and the longer they waited on this, I think it it would have just been bad for the player and for the team. And I think for everybody involved. So I think it's good that it's just done. It's over with. Both of them can move on. I think it's a respectable trade. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that you know, one team robbed the other team. Certainly if Eichel comes back from surgery, recovers and is the player that he used to be, I think that Vegas is clearly getting the better hockey player. But at the same time, Buffalo is unfortunately still in a rebuild. And I still think they're a good few years away from being a competitive team. They're going to be anchored now by their two first overall picks on defense, Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Powers. And who knows, maybe get, they get the first overall pick this year in the draft, although they're playing pretty good hockey right now. But yeah, so I think this is a team that's in a rebuild. They need the draft picks. They need the younger players. They're going to do what they can to try to stack up and get as many prospects as they can and as many picks as they can. And Jack Eichel needed to move on. So at the end of the day, sad situation. You'd like him to stay, but with everything that happened in Buffalo all these years and how bad they were and they were supposed to have been out of the rebuild by now, I also don't feel too bad because I think Jack deserved to move on. I think he deserved to go somewhere else where he had a legitimate chance at playing some playoff hockey. Agreed. Um, Just a note, in an interview he had with Elliot Friedman, he did state that um, during the offseason, he saw the, the trend or kind of the franchise's direction in terms of Buffalo's direction. And that's when he basically had asked for a trade. Yeah, that's fair. So not necessarily had to do with his injury, but obviously that played a big factor in it that they didn't want him to get the certain surgery. But and also I think he wants to, he wants an opportunity to win and he wants to win soon, sooner rather than later and doesn't want to have to go through a, a potential rebuild with Buffalo. And that's very fair. It's not like he's only been there for one year. You know what I mean? Like he's been there for a number of years. He's given them a lot. He was their captain. He was their only consistent scorer. Like he deserves to go somewhere else and have a chance too. So it is what it is. It's over. It's done. I think it's a fair trade. I do think Vegas gets the better player at the end of the day. But like we said, Buffalo's in a rebuild. So they need to move on and they need to just grab picks and prospects and hopefully in a few years they can finally turn that organization around because damn, those fans need a win. Yeah. They are one of the, like the, you know, loyalist 
crazy fans, but yeah, they just <laughs> Table haven't had any, breaking. Yeah, <laughs> they haven't had any luck in the past recent years. Bills Mafia. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's serious fan base over there. So hopefully it turns around eventually. All right, the next thing I wanted to talk about, Marks, was the situation in Chicago on the ice. So I'm talking about the fact that this team is not playing well right now. They kind of had bigger expectations coming into the year, most notably by myself, who said that they would finish second place in that division. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. They still can. Um, no, this team is not doing good. And it's it's a lot of fronts here. Like Flurry and Lankinen are having awful seasons from the goaltending perspective. Anytime your goalies are playing as bad as those two are playing, you can't fully blame it on the goaltending. Obviously, there has to be some connection to the way the defense is playing in front of them. This team is loaded up front. I've said it a bunch of times and I'll say it again. Like the talent is there. They have a tremendous top six in terms of skill and abilities for hockey. A lot of people are talking about Seth Jones right now. And they're talking about that massive $9.5 million contract extension he signed for eight years. That doesn't start until next season. Don't forget that. Next season is the beginning of that contract. And they're saying that he's not playing well. Now, I admittedly have not watched a ton of Chicago Blackhawks games. In fact, I can tell you I've only watched one, and that was against Toronto Maple Leafs. But he has 11 points in 13 games. Of those 11 points, five of those points are power play points. So offensively, it seems like he's doing just fine and he's fitting in in that number one role. But yeah, it sounds like there's some people who aren't too thrilled with the defensive metrics. Regardless of that, I wanted to talk about this because we were discussing trades earlier and this trade got me thinking, is this the Matt Duchesne deal 2.0 here? Because Seth Jones was traded from Columbus to Chicago and Chicago gave up their first round pick at last year's draft, which has already gone through and they gave up a first round pick for this upcoming draft. And that pick is only top two protected, meaning if it is the first overall or second overall selection, then Chicago can choose to keep it. And that means Columbus gets next year's draft. If it's not though, it could be the third, fourth, fifth overall pick and Chicago is giving up that pick to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Seth Jones. It's giving me that eerie feeling of when Matt Duchesne got traded from Colorado to Ottawa and Ottawa gave up a first round pick that ended up being a fourth overall pick. Back to back years, by the way, they had the fourth overall pick, decided to keep it draft Brady Kachuk and push back the draft pick that was going to the Colorado Avalanche, and they ended up getting the fourth overall pick in the next draft, which was Bowen Byram. So I don't know how you're feeling about this, Marcus, but this is giving me some serious Matt Duchesne 2.0 vibes. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah, it (laughs) could very well happen. Uh, At least Chicago did protect themselves in that it's top two protected at least, but... If they fe- end up finishing last, they're, what, guaranteed for at least yeah, four. Yeah, and I think they made pick, some changes, actually, this offseason. That's usually how Yeah, it I would have to look into it. I think oh, just the okay. percentages have gone closer to the bottom five teams again. Like, they've increased the percentages for those bottom five teams. I okay. think most notably because the Detroit Red Wings yeah. over the last few seasons have not had the most favorable luck when it comes to those draft lottery picks. Although, looking back on it, 
Uh, Marit Sider and Lucas Raymond are two studs, so I don't think they're too upset about it. But at the same time, yeah, certainly there was, uh, I think, some resentment of, hey, you know what? Like our team is trying, and we're just not winning a lot of games, so we need more of a a percentage here because it was every team not in the playoffs had a chance at the top three picks. Like that's that's pretty crazy that a team who finishes fifteenth overall just misses the playoffs could get the first overall pick. That's pretty nuts. The odds were very low, and it's to stop. I could see maybe a play for purpose, like right? the third overall pick, but I, I don't think the first overall pick should be in play to teams that are. I think that should really just be the bottom five teams, in my opinion. Yeah, but that'll encourage more tanking, right? Like if you're sixth, right, bottom six, then you're like, oh well, I'm just gonna take out all my stars and lose the next, you know, X games or the rest of the season. And but what if you just get that don't have stars? Fifth, right? Like, so at what least, if you're t- if, well, I mean, you take out your good players, or you, you know, you you call up your backup minor league goaltender to put in. So there's no, you know, no, there's of ways to I mean, tank. Obviously. Most notably, the Leafs when they got Matthews. Like, come on, that that was a full on tank job. But I, I still think there are teams who <laughs> need the draft picks. There's teams like the Buffalo Sabers who have been at the bottom for a long time, and I don't think they've meant to be at the bottom for as long as they have been. Uh, and even teams like the Detroit Red Wings, you know they're on the up and up, but like not getting some of those top five picks can really hurt your team's ability to get out of the basement a little bit. And yeah, I know what you mean. You want to avoid tanking all out. That's why they introduced the lottery as a whole. But top 15, I don't know. Like you think about last year, for example, there was teams such as I believe the New York Rangers and one other team that actually had more points than the Montreal Canadiens. And the Montreal Canadiens were the last team to make it into the playoffs last year. So that was a team who, had it been conference-based, had it been you know back to the regular format of divisions, probably would have made the playoffs. But because they didn't, they had a chance at a top three pick. Like To me, that was kind of crazy. Yeah, but again, that last year is kind of a, an anomaly. You can't go with that. Well, like, most years, that doesn't happen there's usually year. one or two teams that outperform other teams but because of the division breaks that excuse me division breakdown there are some teams who end up making the playoffs that actually have less points than some of the other teams i think we disagree on this marcus and that's okay i think you're wrong you think i'm wrong and you know <laughs> that's fine i do think that there needs to be a lottery but i i think it should just be the bottom five teams and that's it i don't like this new thing where they added you know teams that barely miss the playoffs get a chance at a third and second and first overall pick i think that's dumb i don't agree with it yeah i don't think it should be the bottom five because again you're just going to encourage that sixth team to just not try at all whereas at least they still have an opportunity i hear you but then at the same time like i don't know if you're the ottawa senators buffalo sabers like right now in the atlantic division if you try you're you're not going to be better then the Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning, Toronto Maple Leafs, Boston Bruins. Like, you're just not going to be better than those teams. So why would you waste your time and waste your energy? You know what I mean? But but it's not... No, you can't say that. I mean, look, Montreal tried. They beat the Leafs, and they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's not like a matter of not trying or... Well, I can use, I can use your own logic against you there if it was not a random covid season last year montreal would not have made the playoffs yeah that's fine but i'm saying eighth seeds have made the stanley cup finals before there's edmonton way back in like 2006 
when they made it and they lost to Carolina. It's not impossible for an eighth seed yeah, but to make don't it to forget the, the way that the playoffs so work now. Like, like we're in a regular season now. It's it's four teams per division, right? Like it's top two, top two, and then it's the rest of them. Like what I'm saying is Detroit or Buffalo would actually have to be better than two of the four teams I just listed. Would they not? Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a hundred. I don't even, I don't, honestly, I don't even know the, I think it's top three year, but. from the Atlantic top three from the metropolitan. And then it's just the next best two teams. Okay. So it's like it the was last year. And then it's exactly. like, the two but then they go teams, into the right? brackets. Then there's the Atlantic division. You go until there's one team left and the metropolitan division. And then you go until there's one team left. So they would actually have to be. So there's a play in afterwards. It's not a play in. It's just they they do it so that there's one team per division at the end of it. So it'll be the Atlantic has one representative, the Metropolitan has one representative, the Central has oh, one, okay, okay, and the Pacific okay. has yeah, one. Yeah, okay. Okay, so it's kind of similar to last year in that it was like the North Division. There's one representative from yeah. the North Division. That yeah. was Montreal. It, it's slightly and different just because that, that seventh and eighth spot just goes to the next best two teams. So theoretically, there's a yeah, maximum so it could of be... five teams that could make it out of one division. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, okay. But that's I, fine. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't see I Buffalo. Yeah. I don't see Detroit being a top five team in the Atlantic division, let alone the fact that they would also have to compete against teams from the Metropolitan division as well. Well, if you look at the current standings, right? I'm just saying current. You, you, I, you can make the argument, yeah, I mean, this is only right now. It goes Florida's first in the Atlantic Division with 21 points, then the Toronto Maple Leafs with 15, the Tampa Bay Lightning with 14. Guess who's got 14 as well? The Red Wings, and then the Buffalo Sabres yeah. with 12. Then it's Boston is has only played nine games, whereas the Red Wings have played 13, and they have 10 points. And then it's the Ottawa Senators with seven points, and <laughs> the Montreal Canadiens with six. And speaking of six points, so, so do the Chicago Blackhawks. They have six points. And the Coyotes have Man, coy- three coyotes points, <laughs> one win, ten Th- losses. This conversation got away from us. <laughs> we just went down a rabbit hole here. Um, we were talking <laughs> about the Seth Jones trade, and somehow we ended up somehow we ended <laughs> Matt up at, uh, the lottery draft picks, and then we talked about whether they should be protected or not, and if there should be prevention for tanking teams, and yes and no, but. At the end of the day, I still, I'm sticking to my guns here, Marcus. I still don't think that it would be fair to give it to anybody other than those bottom five teams. Man, Colorado's in 20. Yeah, but you can't always place. just reward being bad. You right just have now, to right? sometimes be better. You can't, you're, Sean, you're just rewarding being bad. You can't always but just reward. But it's not a reward because it's not bad. a guarantee. That's like, the difference. Well, it's not a guarantee yeah. now. I understand. You're just giving them more, but you're giving them a better chance of be, like getting the, them getting the reward yeah. for being bad. But the thing is, there's proven success in that method. Like you look at a lot of these teams who are good teams now and, and you say to how did they build up? Like look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. If they didn't have the first overall pick to get Matthews, if they didn't have the fourth overall pick to get Marner, if they didn't have the seventh overall pick to get Nylander, like... Those are draft picks they needed in order to turn it around and become a good team. If they didn't get those high draft picks, they wouldn't be where they are right now. uh, Morgan Riley was a fifth overall pick, right? So 
if you keep fight, like think about the Leafs from 2004 all the way until the Matthews era, how many seasons did they finish in that like just missing out on the last playoff spot, but being too good to get good draft picks, but not being good enough to make the playoffs. Like think about how long this team was in limbo for. So yeah, and they had an opportunity. They had a chance to get the first overall pick. They didn't. They didn't have the luck. They they won it. They got it with Matthews. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, I'm just talking about based on your method. If they were to try every single year and continually make it as like the ninth or tenth or eleventh team in the conference, they're still missing out on the playoffs. But then they're also not getting good draft picks. Like, I think the Leafs only tanked like two seasons. I mean. They were just bad. They was not like they were trying to be bad per se in the, I mean, like, the other I think, seasons. I don't think the Leafs organization didn't want to make the Stanley Cup finals well, you or want Stanley Cup playoffs. Success, though. You want to build up a team that's going to have a franchise that has a chance to make deep runs year after year, right? You look at a team, for example, like the Washington Capitals. Like that's a team that took years and years and years of trying and going on deep runs, and and they only won the playoffs or they only won the Stanley Cup, like later on in Ovechkin's career so I don't know I I personally I'm still sticking to my guns here I think that as much as tanking can be detrimental and to a certain degree there's still NHL players on NHL teams and they're putting up competitive battles like you know I think of Detroit last year they had a bad team and they finished really low in the standings but every time the Leafs played Detroit like it was not necessarily an easy game like it was a tough game they it's not like they just sat back and let Toronto win. They tried. They put out a, a team and they tried to win hockey games. But they just are at a different stage right now based on the cap. And I think based on the cap, you're going to have teams cycling through. And that's what brings parity out in the NHL. And I think there has to be teams that end up being bottom dwellers for a while before they can come back and be good again. Otherwise, if you just have the same teams over and over again, nobody's going to really enjoy it, right? What, what are you saying here? I'm, that's what I'm saying. You want teams to try. You don't want teams to tank for the like last five spots so they cycles. get the first overall pick. I'm saying it goes through cycles. Like the Leafs sucking for five years yeah, in a that's... row when they got the first overall pick, fourth overall pick, fifth overall pick, seventh overall pick. Like, yeah, that sucked as a Leaf fan. But like now that they've made the playoffs in five consecutive seasons and they have a very strong, talented team and exciting team to watch, like, I argue it was worth it to go through that rebuild and it was worth it to quote unquote tank and try to be bad on purpose so that they could retool and come back stronger so that they could build a team that would be successful for years to come. I'm saying I agree with the strategy of tanking. That's what I'm saying. And that's why I think it should only be the bottom five teams that get a shot at the first overall pick. (laughs) You disagree. That's fine. We can have different opinions on one topic. Well, I'm not saying tanking. I'm not saying they shouldn't tank. I'm just saying I don't think you should just reward the bottom five teams with the first overall pick. I'm saying, like I said, the sixth team could be like, what's the difference? Well, I'm just saying the difference between two points could be you not getting the first and then or you not being have an opportunity at the first and, you know, the other team having an opportunity at the first. For, with two points because you're going by the six. I mean, yes, you could say two points to make the playoffs and two points not yeah. to make the playoffs. But then you look at a lot of drafts that take place, man. It's not it's not always a guarantee, right? You think of times like, for example, the year that we drafted Morgan Riley fifth overall. Who were some of the guys taken before him? There's there are some guys taken before him that weren't as good. Right? I'm so, I, I'm aware of that. I'm not saying 
but I'm just saying that it shouldn't be only the 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 bottom five so teams how high that should have it go? the opportunity. I I'm I'm fine with how it is. I mean, it's like a one percent or less than one percent chance that like the fifteenth team has That's a fair. has a That's chance. That's your at opinion. One. <laughs> I certainly disagree with it, but I can respect why you're making that decision, and that's okay. That's fine by me. But I think you're wrong. <laughs> okay, well, I think you're wrong. Good. Too, so it's fine. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next thing we were going to talk about here is the crack in retiring number thirty-two. So for those of you not aware, uh, retiring a jersey number basically just means that a team has a ceremony. They lift up like a banner that has the number on it up into the rafters. And then players on that team are not supposed to wear that number. So active players who play for the team would not be able to wear the number 32. Um, They're the 32nd franchise in the NHL. And I think there was some other stuff about them selling something like 32,000 yeah, tickets or something like that yeah. uh, within Season the first tickets, week or so yeah. of the team coming out. So, yeah, they they decided to go ahead and retire the number 32. I'm, I'm pretty indifferent, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't know. It, on one hand, it's it seems kind of dumb to me. It's like, what happens if they get a first overall pick or something in the next couple seasons and that player really likes the number 32 and now they can't wear 32 because they retired it? but they didn't retire it based on a player that's played for the organization before. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know what? They're a brand new organization. They spent a lot of money getting the team that they have. Like they had to pay a massive fee to the NHL to even get the Seattle Kraken out in Seattle. So if they want to do something like this, it's it seems like it's probably going to be a little while before they're a real threat and they're a team that makes some deep runs into the playoffs. So for the time being, why not give something to the fans to cheer about? And there's a, there's one banner up there in the rafters for you. So whenever you go, you know, if you have little kids and they want to go to the game and look up and see the rafters. And I know as a Leafs fan, like you go there and there's so many, so many rafters up there, like in terms of Stanley Cups one, but also players that have some numbers retired and stuff like that. So it is kind of cool to see as a fan. And I guess I'm kind of indifferent, which I don't know, maybe I should have an opinion one way or the other, but I, I don't really care that much. So to me, I guess I'm fine with it. What about you, Marcus? Yeah, I would probably be in the same boat as you. It's like you said, they, they paid a lot of money for their uh, franchise. They can kind of do whatever they want. If they don't want people like any players to wear number 32, I don't think it's a very popular number in general. It's usually like a backup goalie <laughs> that wears number yeah, 32. That's fair. So... If, if it means that much to your organization, then go go for it and retire it. Like, it's not a big deal. I think that's cool. Like you said, it gives gives them a banner and gives gives um, the fans to see something yeah. when they look up. Why not? Why not? Hey, Marcus, uh, how's, how's Seattle doing, by the way? <laughs> I, no I believe, <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, Marcus, you chose them to finish third place in that division. Is yeah. that correct? <laughs> Okay, third place yep, in the Pacific correct. Division. Marcus, if you don't know, just take a guess. There's eight teams in the Pacific. Where do you think they are? No, right? I see I see now. They're eighth. They're eighth. That's fine. They are they are eighth place. And they're they got more points than your second place uh Chicago team. So <laughs> they got three more points and one less game. So 
<laughs> you are correct. As of right now, I certainly would would argue that my pick was worse than your pick. That is for sure. Especially considering I did not pick the St. Louis Blues to be a top three team in that division. Uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing. So that's fine. But um, the one thing I will say, pat myself on the back a little bit here. Guess who's having a pretty down season for them right now? Who? The goaltender. Mr. Philip Grubauer. Oh, Grubauer. Yeah, he's got 297 goals against an 886 save percentage in 10 games, Marcus. That's not like one or two games. That's that's pretty yeah, bad. That's a lot. That's almost a three goals against and an 886. It's all right. They only have him signed for another five years at a $5.9 million <laughs> cap it. No big deal. That was That was a bad signing. I called that. Just saying. Anyways, so let's move on. There's two contracts that were signed, two big-time contracts that were signed that I wanted to discuss quickly. One of them is Adam Fox. And uh, one the other night I was watching the after the Leafs game, Calgary was playing New York in Calgary. D- did you get a chance to watch any of that game, Marcus? No, I didn't. So I didn't. did we discuss this on the podcast or off the podcast, the, the Adam Fox trade, where he came from? Um, remember we talked about it yeah we did talk about it i don't think it, i don't think it was on the podcast okay so for those of you who are remember. not familiar with the situation adam fox went the college route and before he came to the nhl he was actually drafted by the calgary flames and he told the calgary flames i don't want to play for your team i want to play for the new york rangers and he actually got traded from calgary to the Carolina Hurricanes in the Dougie Hamilton trade. So Dougie Hamilton and Adam Fox together went to Carolina, and from Carolina was Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin. And then Adam Fox ended up getting traded from Carolina to the New York Rangers for a second-round pick. But the funny thing was, when I was watching the game, every time he touched the puck, the Calgary Flames crowd booed him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) loud. And I was sitting there, and I was like, why are they booing Adam Fox? Like, did he throw a dirty hit earlier this game or something? And then it clicked. And I was like, oh, yeah, because he told them, I don't want to play for your team. And then won a Norris trophy <laughs> for the New York Rangers. So Adam Fox is an absolute stud of a defenseman. Last year, he won the Norris trophy. People were wondering, is it a fluke? Uh, yeah, it's not a fluke. Adam Fox is still a stud this year. He's leading all defensemen again. I think he is again the front runner for winning the Norris Trophy. He is still the leader this year for the Norris Trophy, and he signed a massive ticket, seven years, $9.5 million a year for the AAV. What do you think, Marcus? You a fan of this contract? You not a fan of this contract? Do you know much about Mr. Fox? To be honest, I don't really know much about Mr. Fox. It seems like he just came out of nowhere and then won a Norris Trophy. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, good for him for you know getting that much money. And you know he's a Norris Trophy winner, so he he's gonna get paid regardless. I think we were talking when we were mentioning he he's from New York, and I, I think he just wanted to play on the on the Rangers. So he he made it happen or got 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 his uh, chance to to play on his on his childhood team so yeah good for him you know what it is what it is at the end of the day it's i find in the nhl players don't typically have a lot of power when it comes to the organizations they play with especially what is it 25 or 26 
years old. I think there's like a specific age. Yeah, it's 26 when they're when they can become a UFA. Yeah, 26. So usually before the age unrestrict unrestricted free agent, sorry. Yeah, so yes. Which means they can sign with any team, but before that they're considered restricted free agents where they can sign with another team, but their par- their parent team or their the team that they're with currently that owns their rights has the opportunity to match whatever they do end up signing. So that's in I mean this kind of happened this past season with Kotkinemi, um, who used to play for Montreal. He got offer sheeted by the Carolina Hurricanes. He was a restricted free agent for Montreal, and Carolina offered him a contract. He signed it, and Montreal had the option to match the offer or allow Carolina to sign it. And because it was over a certain threshold, there are tiers for how much money they sign for. They get the team, the parent team will receive draft picks in compensation for signing their player. So Montreal received, I think, a first overall, a first round pick and third as well. And a third pick for Kotkanemi. And then they ended up trading that for Christian Dvorak. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, for sure. But I, I think, yeah, the important thing to know here is because it was before that, he's only 23. So he's going to be turning 24 in February, but he is young. He won a Norris trophy. He has 12 points in 12 games this year. I don't think that includes the game that they just played tonight. I saw that he scored a shorthanded goal. So he is a point-per-game player as a defenseman. Uh, yeah, this kid is going to win more Norris trophies, I think, in uh, in the future. He is an absolute stud. He is worth the $9.5 bucks. Playing in like playing in New York too. That's a huge, huge market. There's a lot of pressure there. He obviously loves playing for his hometown. And I hope he continues to be the stud that he clearly has turned into. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of this contract. It's only seven years. It's not eight years. Um, so they definitely bought up a, a few years of the the RFA status. Um, but man, like he'll only be 30 by the time this contract's finished. So I'm sure he'll sign another big meal ticket after that too. Yeah, for sure. I think he's he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, I'm a big fan. All right, Leafs Corner. Let's do it. It's been a while. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about for Leafs Corner, Marcus, Morgan Riley. Eight years, 7.5 mil a year. So what are you thinking here? I think that's a good deal for Morgan Riley. I think based on his production and his play, I think he actually deserves more money. But I think he did take a discount to be able to stay with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So um, it was kind of thought that he probably won't be returning at the end of the season, but I guess Dubas believes that signing Morgan Riley and as we were talking about last podcast, locking up a lot of the salary cap in five players is the way to go. Hopefully it works out. I mean, I like Morgan Riley as a player. I think he's a phenomenal defenseman, great skater, moves the puck very well. I think he could have been captain for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't have any complaints. It's just like we were saying last week, it's it's a lot of money to lock up in five players. Yeah, it really is. And I, yeah, I think this is a hard one, right? Because I do think he is an elite talent. And this is where to me, it's it's hard to gauge. But I think you're right. I think on the open market, probably he gets more money. But don't forget as well, the Leafs had the advantage of giving of offering him the eighth year. 
he wouldn't have been able to sign for eight years with another team if he was a UFA. The max would have been seven years. So I think also giving him that eighth year probably lowered the cap hit a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah, like in my opinion, he's elite in the context of offense. And even this year, he has eight points in 12 games. He puts up a lot of points and can score a lot of points. And his transition play, like his skating ability, is something that the Leafs definitely like and can use to their advantage with the extremely fast and talented forwards they have on the team. The only thing here is he's not necessarily known as a number one, like true number one defenseman because he's lacking a little on the defensive side. But this is where I start to look at the contract and I say, yeah, but that's why he's getting 7.5 and not 9.5. Because as we know in this, this off season, there was a lot of guys who ended up getting numbers starting, starting with nine as like a $9 million cap hit. And so, you know, you look at Darnell Nurse, you look at even Adam Fox who just signed, you look at Seth Jones, you look at Wierenski, you look at who are some other guys that signed this offseason? Dougie like Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton, right? So you're starting to see some of these guys and thinking to yourselves, those are true number ones, both offensively and defensively. Obviously, we're <laughs> just going to ignore the fact that some people are questioning Seth Jones' defensive abilities right now. But those are like true number one workhorse, offensively gifted and also sound defensively. But then you look, you know, somebody like TJ Brody, for example, on the Leafs makes $5 million. And so... To me, I see this as a good in-between. I see him not quite up to the standards of the the $9 million plus defenseman, but he's certainly worth more than somebody who's making five, five and a half million dollars in this league. I think the 7.5 is a great spot right in between. Eight years is a decent amount. Like he'll be probably about 35 when this contract ends. So hopefully the last two or three years aren't rough years. Like He's, well, I think his style of play, like you're saying, or I, I would go with the, his style of play allows for a more longevity in his career. He doesn't play, he's not like a big banging brute, brutish defenseman that, you know, crashes the boards kind of like, or, you know, crashes the net or, you know, take, you know, plays the body a lot, yeah. kind of like a Shea Weber where Sacrificing you're seeing him kind exactly. of yeah, break down and, you know. But I think his game is more, like you said, that transition, passing the puck, skating, and those kind of skills tend to last longer or allow for a longer career in the NHL. Yeah, and I think every year, too, you you start to notice like newer and younger players, it always just seems like they're better skaters, like faster, stronger skaters. And I think for sure. And I think because Morgan Riley is such a good, strong skater and his massive tree trunk thighs like that. I think you're right. I think that's something that over time I think would be better to a player aging versus somebody who's a little bit slower already and and uses more of a rough and tumbling style type of play. So hopefully it works out in that context, but I really do see this number as a fair number. I think 7.5 is right in between that true legitimate number one, who's both offensively and defensively very gifted I think he's very offensively gifted. I don't think he's a like porous or terrible defender, but I don't think he's like up to that standard of a, a true legitimate number one. So I think the 7.5 is pretty fair. I think your comment about paying five guys a lot of money, yeah, that's that's going to be rough because that's a lot of money to be paying five guys on the team. I, I know we talked about it with Kevin on the last podcast, but starting next season, by the way, not this season, but next season, 
it'll be 58% of the 81.5 million, 82.5 yeah, like million. Yeah, so it's basically 59%. Is basically 59% is going to five guys on a 25-man 20, roster. Is that correct? I think 22 guys are active, but 25-man roster. That's a lot of money. And it makes me wonder if there's moves ahead. Like if this team does not make it past the first round this year, I it's almost a guarantee to me that one of those five guys is maybe wearing a different jersey next year. Yeah, no, for sure. Big big moves will have to happen if if the Leafs can't get past the first round. But the other notice notable thing about this contract is the first six years of the eight years of that contract, no movement clause. And it's only in the last two years that they have the ability to trade him. So I don't know if it'll be Morgan Riley going somewhere. <laughs> um, I have a note down here, Mark, so I want to talk about it later, but I think it kind of fits right now because the other thing to consider when we're talking about next year is who is going to be the goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And somebody by the name of Jack Soup Campbell is having another incredibly impressive season. I see him as a true number one goalie. He's still pretty young. He was a first-round pick. He's got the talent. He's got the ability. How are they going to afford to pay him? What do you think he's going to get in the this offseason? Because he is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. I think they really uh, handcuffed themselves with the Mrazic signing and that they signed him kind of long-term, or I think it was like three seasons, and he's getting 3.5 or around there. I think 3.9. Okay, three point yeah, three point nine. So, I think that money could have definitely gone towards Jack Campbell. I mean, Mrazek's career as a Toronto Maple Leaf has only started. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't started off very great. He's back on the IR recently, and out. I think out four weeks now, four to six weeks. Yeah, four to six weeks or something with the same yeah. the same groin injury or a reaggravated groin from earlier in the season, or that injury was from his first game they played. It's really hard to say um, how much Jack Campbell will get. Uh, like, it depends on really how much he likes Toronto. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see him remain as a Leaf. I mean, he's on a great contract right now. I think under $2 million is what he's making. So I think you could see a four in the front of it. I think that's what he deserves. But can the Leafs afford that? I don't think so. Unless they, like you said, make some moves, if if we can, if the Leafs can somehow get out of Mrazek's contract, or if Mrazek bounces back and potentially steals the number one spot from Jack Campbell, but I, I I really do like Jack Campbell's play, and I think yeah he deserves probably something with a four in front of it. So whether that be four hundred thousand or four point million, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I honestly I would argue that's even low. I think based on last season and if he continues this trend throughout this year, like if he continues this year as a number one and he's putting up the numbers he's putting up right now for the rest of this season, I see this almost more of as a Markstrom thing where Markstrom went to Vancouver in the trade for Luongo, took him a while to get his feet, finally had like two really good seasons, especially his last season before becoming UFA. And then he ended up leaving and going somewhere else because they couldn't afford to pay him. Now, I know that situation was a bit different because they had Thatcher Demko, who was essentially ready to step in and become a starting goalie in the NHL, whereas the Leafs don't really have that prospect who's who's going to be there. They don't really have any goaltending. Yeah. 
So I know it's a little different in that context, but man, I don't know if he's putting up the numbers he put up last year for all of this season. I think the number starts easily with a five, potentially even a, a very low six. Like I'm man, look at Grubauer. But you could compare him to almost even like a, a Robin Leonard in a sense too. Yeah. I mean, I mean like Mrazic, oh, sorry, not Mrazic. Markstrom is one example. I would, I saw something where they compared him to kind of like a, a Robin Leonard. I think Robin Leonard is getting like 5.5. He's getting five, I believe. I think it was a five year, okay, 25 five. mil. Yeah. So 5 million. I mean, and I don't know, is Jack Campbell better than Robin Leonard? Maybe right now he's playing better. Would you say he's better or, um, you know, he because he was like a, a he's, I guess like a he's fairly high pick, I think. Yeah. Robin Leonard was, and then he kind of didn't really have a great start, and then he finally found his way and became like a one A one B type goalie on um, the Islanders, and then you know they didn't want to, I guess, sign him, or they decided that trading him was better than trying to re-sign him, and they traded him to Vegas, and then no, he uh, he. He didn't re-sign with the Islanders. He went to Chicago for a year, and then he got oh, traded from yeah, Chicago sorry. to Toronto, and then from Toronto yeah. to Vegas. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, I know what you mean. The only thing for me is I see this more as a Markstrom comparison just because of they'll be roughly the same age. Like, I think Campbell's 29 right now, so by the time his next contract signs, he'll be 30, which is pretty much exactly what happened with Markstrom. And like I said, Markstrom was highly touted. He had a mm-hmm. lot of support he put in the time and it wasn't until the last season before he became a ufa where he really put it all together and then he ended up signing the six mil times six year contract and then i'm looking at someone like philip grubauer that just signed this offseason again six years 5.9 million dollar contract i think robin leonard actually could have gotten more if he went to ufa Um, he re-signed with vegas before the end of the offseason so I guess it comes down to whether you think Jack Campbell is going to re-sign mid-season or if you think Mm -hmm. he's going to wait till the off-season to try to leverage. I think you're right in this situation. I think the reason you're right is because he likes being in Toronto. Here's a guy who's had a bit of a rough road in terms of getting to the NHL as a starter. He was a first-round pick. He was highly touted. He went through some hard times. He, you know, he was working with some people in terms of his mental health and physically trying to become a better goaltender. He's kind of finally found this place here where he fits in, and not yeah. only does he fit in, he's really damn good where he is right now. And the rest of the team really likes him, and he's playing mm-hmm. good hockey. Like, I wonder if all of that doesn't push him to sign a contract with the Leafs that's a little bit under market value. And I think maybe yeah. you're right. That's where you see the comparison to a, a Robin Leonard. Then if you sign him to a five-year 25 mil, that's literally the contract that uh, Freddie Anderson signed, Freddie by the Anderson way. Freddie Anderson had, yeah. So it's true. then you add the five mil to the 3.9 mil. So then you're just shy of $9 million on two goaltenders. It's a lot. It's a lot, but it's a lot less than some other teams spend on goaltenders still. Oh, of course. I mean, there's Gary Price. There's yeah. I mean, you look Bobrovsky, at, which make more than them two combined. Yeah. So you look <laughs> at yeah, Bobrovsky makes what ten mil or eleven mil? I think it's eleven, right? Eleven, I think so. Eleven himself. <laughs> then you look at Montreal last year having Allen and Carey Price. You yeah. even look last year at Vegas. Speaking of Robin Leonard, his partner. Flurry, they combined it was what seven plus five. 
So that's 12 yeah, mil. Like 12. there's teams that make it work. The reason I'm, I brought it up and the reason I moved it up here as things I wanted to talk about now is with Riley signing this contract and with five guys making 59% of the cap combined, can they afford two goalies making roughly $9 million, potentially $10 million so. if the number starts with a, a later five or a six, early six? Like, that's tough. But how do you yeah. let him walk? He's your starting goalie. Yeah, I know. It's They're in a tough spot. Like we said before, I think they've really put, like, back themselves in a corner. Dubas is in a, a really difficult spot. I mean, if, if the Leafs... <laughs> You know, if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup this season, I mean, we can all, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't, I, I won't care for the next 10 years. I, I, I know what I, you mean. I mean, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. Yeah. Right? Uh, I know what you mean. Like, <laughs> even if they don't win the Cup, like, the fact that we're talking about this is just because we're Leafs fans. But in the moment, we should just be enjoying this season. They're playing well. They have a strong team. The stars are starting to come out. Jack Campbell is a true, legitimate number one goalie, at least for the time being. The defense is playing a lot better. You know, Lilligren stepped up. He's been playing really well with Sandine. Like, overall, it's been a pretty good season to start, right? So maybe we just need to acknowledge that and let Kyle Dubas deal with the cap situation next year because it all is going to depend on how they perform at the end of the season. So mm-hmm. until then, we can we can talk about it. We can mention it. We can hypothesize, but... Maybe we just need to enjoy the Leafs as are right now. And I picked them finishing second in the division, Marcus. I believe that's currently where they're sitting. And uh, hopefully that's where they finish. Or first. I hope so too. Be, or first. I'd be fine with that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, just... I don't care. As long as they win a round or maybe win some more <laughs> rounds. <laughs> yeah, they, they should win They can more finish eighth, but if they make it to the finals... <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, just speaking of the Leafs, we want to just update people. I mean... I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast probably already know, but just wanted to fill you in. The last nine games was a four-game losing streak followed by a five-game winning streak. We know just because we're actually recording right now, the Leafs actually just lost to uh, the LA Kings. So the last 10 games, it would have been five wins, five losses. But the five-game win streak was really impressive, really important. That game against Chicago, oh my gosh. If they had lost that game, I think... (laughs) I think the ceiling would have fallen down. I think yep. the sky would have fallen. I think maybe it would have been really negative uh, impact on the mental health and well-being of the team. Who knows if they would have you know, rallied off four wins in a row after that if they had embarrassingly lost. But they didn't. They won. And then they continued to win five games in a row. Most notably, Tavares, Matthews, Marner, and Nylander stepped up. Tavares, 9 points, 5 goals. Matthews, 7 points, 4 goals. Marner, 11 points, 3 goals. Nylander, 5 points, 3 goals in that 5-game winning streak. That's a lot of points within those 5 games, all right? That's something that's really good for the team. The only thing that is maybe a little concerning is that the last 3 games of that 5-game win streak, they scored 5 goals, 4 goals, and 2 goals, so 11 goals. Of those 11 goals, Every single one of them was scored by one of the four names we just mentioned. Tavares, Matthews, Martin, and Nylander. So it's good that they're hot and it's good that they're playing well. But hopefully we're going to start to see a little more secondary scoring from this team because it can't just be those guys. Although they're being paid like it, 
you do need a little bit more depth on your team if you're going to compete every single night. Yeah, for sure. I also want to say that excluding this LA game, the past three games were also big in terms of the opponents. They beat Vegas, they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they beat the Boston Bruins. So those are three top-tier teams. Maybe not they're, they're not performing top-tier this season so far, but I think those are still three teams that the Leafs hadn't seen in like almost two years, and um, they were able to pull off some wins against them. So I think that would, that also helps with the confidence going forward. Yep. No, I hear you. But yeah, I think there needs to be a little bit more of a balance. And maybe that's hard because the way the cap has been set up for this team, there isn't that much of a balance. So you do need to rely on those guys scoring the goals. And it's good that they actually are. So that's good. Overall, the the only thing I guess to mention about that, and the reason I brought it up, is that those last three games in the five-game win streak was only those four, four guys scoring, excuse me. It just reminded me a little bit of in the All or Nothing documentary last season when the Leafs started out really hot and they were doing really well in the North Division and they were first place and they were first place by a lot of points. Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he was actually like upset. He was like mad with the team. and He was like, yeah, we're winning and we're in first place and that's all good and great, but the way you're winning isn't conducive to the playoffs. And so we need to practice and we need to work on scoring goals that are more, you know, tough, gritty style goals. And that's where the conversation with the rebounds came in and, you know, scoring some rebound goals and getting in front of the net and making that traffic happen. Because if something were to happen again this year where Matthews and Marner get cold in the playoffs and Tavares gets injured, like that's where that cap hit only going to those four guys becomes a bit of an issue and so I really hope that they take these wins with a bit of a grain of salt and realize that they also need to make sure that they're focusing on winning but they're also focusing on developing and growing so that they're able to win games the way that they need to win games later in the season am I thinking too far ahead Marcus or do you no I think you bring up a very good point. Sheldon Keefe was preaching that all last season throughout that documentary. And I think he's right. You know, the Leafs didn't show up in the playoffs. And that's like one of the things that they're missing is those gritty rebound goals. I mean, I don't, I think JVR, a couple of the, yeah, like JVR type player. I think a couple of the goals um, in the past couple of games were, were rebound goals. They're not all just Matthews wrist shot from, you know, just outside the, <laughs> the hash marks. So but, nice. <laughs> so like I think Tavares like one of Tavares's goals against Boston for sure was like rebound or just he just tucked it below the goalie or whatever yeah or you know there was that Mitch Marner one where he just kind of <laughs> in front <laughs> like of the net spun around yeah super nice <laughs> spun around scored the goal yeah that was awesome yeah no I, I, I that's a rebound goal <laughs> no I'm just kidding well, but he was in close yeah, it's in clothes. It's dirty. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean, though. And and that's why I brought it up is just I really hope this year, if if Keith tells them this, that they actually listen. Because last year you could see like Matthews was kind of pissed when Keith was bringing that up. And it's like, hey, like we're winning games. We're in first place. Like, what's the problem? Right. But mm-hmm. that's why they pay Keith to be the head coach, because he's thinking long term and he's thinking about the playoffs and he knows his team wasn't playing the style they need to play. And guess what? He was right. 
for those yeah. of you who are trying to defend uh, the players in this situation, I'm sorry, but Keefe was right. And we know he was right because we know how last season ended. So hopefully we continue to see those wins. It's certainly fun when they score four or five goals in a game. It's awesome to see that. But I do hope that they are putting a little more emphasis this year on preparing for the playoffs. For sure. I, I wouldn't say it's Keefe's fault. It's definitely on the players. So this brings us to our fantasy corner of the podcast. So we're going to talk about some players of the week as well as some players on some teams with four games. So we're going to go with that. Similar advice as, as last week. We'll talk about some teams with four games and there are a couple teams with two games. So you may want to avoid some of those players and one with one team with one game this week. Players of the week. We're first going with Leon Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers center left wing. He had an amazing week with five goals, five assists, three power play points, 13 shots on goal, 30 faceoff wins in four games. So that's more than two points per game. Crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> like McDavid's having an incredible season, so is Dreisaitl. And I mean, it's obviously related, but. Damn, those guys are an incredible duo in the NHL. Uh, we're going to go with the hometown hero here. Uh, well, two of them, actually. Austin Matthews, four goals, two of six, six points in four games. Four of those six points on the power play. So it's nice to see the power play heating up. Uh, I know the Leafs have had some issues in the past with that power play. So hopefully it continues to develop and hopefully they continue to score a lot of goals. 14 shots on goal and also 26 faceoff wins. Not bad for uh, Austin Matthews. Very good. Very good. I like to see that playing with, well, I don't know if he was the whole time, but playing on the power play, at least with Austin Matthews is Mitch Marner with two goals, seven assists, four power play points as well with 12 shots on goal in four games. Not bad. Not bad. JT Miller from the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Those of you not familiar, he had a great week as well. Four goals, one assist, five points in only three games. He also gets a lot of variety stuff. So two power play points, 11 shots on goal, 23 face-off wins and nine hits so that's a lot of different categories it's uh, nice to get that from a guy who's also a dual position player he's center slash left wing nice moving on to defense we have alex petrangelo with two goals two assists two pims two power play points 14 shots on goals four hits seven blocks so again lots of lots of categories there that Petrangelo got this this week. Yeah, I mean, fantasy-wise, but he's been extraordinarily important for that Las Vegas team. They have been decimated by injuries. They are waiting for some of their top-end talent to come back, and I think he has been left kind of to the wolves a little bit. He is such a good talent. He's such a good player, and I think that he's really been trying his best to keep the boat afloat in the meantime. Darnell Nurse plays for the Edmonton Oilers. Defense, four assists. And uh, two penalty minutes, power play point, 11 shots on goal, 14 hits. 14 hits for your boy, uh, Darnell Nurse, right there. So that is uh, a pretty good fantasy week. I really miss him on my fantasy team. <laughs> I wish I still had oh, him. Oh, sorry. I said your boy thinking he was on your team this year. That, no, that was I had him year. last season. I had him okay, last my season. apologies. Not, I wanted to draft him this year, but he was taken before I had the opportunity. Mm. So moving on, continuing with the Toronto Maple Leaf trend, we're going with. Jack Campbell, an amazing week. Three wins against those top teams that I said earlier. Uh, 0.99 goals against average. 
968 save percentage in 92 saves or with 92 saves in the three games so very good very good stuff very impressive yeah you know we're a little biased but that's okay because they actually had a great week so Leafs, Leafs, Leafs. Um, the other goaltender <laughs> I want to talk about this week is UC Saros for Nashville. Two wins, 1.98 goals against average, 940 save percentage, 94 saves in three games. This is a guy who I talked a lot about coming into the season, does not get nearly enough respect. He won't get you as many wins just because of the team he's playing for, but the numbers he puts up are crazy. He is an incredibly talented goalie. He spent years developing behind Rene in uh, Nashville, and he took over last year as the number one, and he is back again this year. He is a stud goaltender. For sure. I actually believe they called him Rene Jr. or Pekka Jr. or something. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's actually, well, I I remember um, Kevin said a stat last week about how there's almost no goaltenders under six foot two. In the NHL, mm-hmm. UC Saros is actually five foot eleven. Oh wow! So. <laughs> Still yeah. significantly taller than the two of us, Marcus. But that that's true. Hey. But we're not in the NHL. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I, it, I'm just, we're just going to blame it on height. You know, if we were just that much taller, we'd be in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Next, we're going to talk about some, just a couple players on each team with four games. Some of some a lot of the players on these teams, the top ones are taken. So these are just some players that aren't owned as highly in Yahoo leagues. First, we're going to start with Boston, who has four games this week. Um, you're looking at Mike Riley, the defenseman, only owned in ten percent, and Charlie Coyle, the center right wing, owned in eleven percent. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too, Marks. I think we discussed it briefly last time, but just that strategy piece. The reason we're talking about this is because if you're running a fantasy team, it actually makes sense for you to leave, like, I would say at least two guys, maybe even three guys on your team as rotational pieces. Guys that you pick up and drop on a weekly basis, depending on how many games the teams have. Getting those extra games in just gives you those extra categories, which gives you the extra wins here and there, right? If you have an extra defenseman or two starting, that's an extra few blocks every game from each defenseman. If you have an extra center, that's a couple extra faceoff wins every single time you're able to get those slots filled. So it makes sense to look ahead to the week. If you have, you know, let's say, for example, your team is stacked on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday. Pretty much every slot is already full. Well, then you're going to want to look at teams that play on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you're going to want to pick up guys who play for those teams so that you get that balance where on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you're having to sit guys. Instead of sitting those guys on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you may as well drop them on Monday and pick up guys who play Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Getting as many games in during the week as possible is going to give you an advantage over other teams who simply click the start active players for the week and they don't actually look at picking up and dropping guys throughout the week. So that is a strategy that Marcus really solidified in our hockey league and people have been picking up on it over the last few years so unfortunately credit where credit (laughs) is due marcus you were certainly the first one to push that back in wow even probably like 2014 2015 um and now this year i think and last year in particular people finally started to pick up on it so my team that i'm talking about is the calgary flames they have been red hot to start the season sean monahan is still only owned in 29 percent of leagues I know he's not on that top line with Lindholm and Kachuk, 
but he still plays with Johnny Hockey most of the time, and he is going to get you some decent categories. Milan Lucic is also having a decent start to the season. He'll get you a few different categories, uh, only owning 2% of leagues. So those are a couple guys to take a look at from Calgary. For sure, for sure. Yeah, de- definitely just going off what you were saying earlier, Sean, was, yeah, I think get, picking up some of those players um, on those off nights when your team doesn't have as many players playing, that 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 literally can be the difference of you winning you winning the week so just even those couple couple shots or a couple blocks couple assists or goals just to put you over your opponent just to get you you know that win in fantasy so yeah definitely and the some, earlier in the week you pick them up the better for sure so you can take advantage of them throughout the week yeah. next we have edmonton who's also playing four games unfortunately a lot of their top players are taken in um, the Yahoo League. So only player of note I'd say is uh, Evan Bouchard, who's a defenseman, owned in 30%. So I think he definitely will get you assists in that he, he can just pass to Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, and he'll probably get you an assist right there. So <laughs> He's actually having a good season. He's on my watch list. I ha- I've had him oh, on yeah. the watch list uh, for a couple weeks now. Yeah, he's having a good start to the season. Uh, Florida Panthers also have four games this week. So Brandon Montour on defense. He's been getting a lot of playing time. And Patrick Hornquist is surprisingly only owning 38% of leagues. I think a lot of people drafted him out the gate, but then he had a really slow start, like the first six games, not really getting any points at all. But he still has a lot of potential. That's a really loaded team who has a lot of offense and score a lot of scores a lot of goals. So don't sleep on Patrick Hornquist as a pickup guy, right? You pick him up, and if he still doesn't do well, you drop him. But he'll still get you some other categories along the way. Exactly. Next, we have the LA Kings. Uh, we have Philip Deneau, the center who was signed in the offseason. He's only owned in 15%. He's not really known for his offensive prowess, but he still will get you a bunch of face-offs for sure. There's also Adrian Kempe, left wing, right wing, only on 15%, and I believe Andreas Athanasio, who scored tonight for the LA Kings against the Toronto Maple Leafs, left wing, right wing, only on in 3%. So maybe look out for him this week. He could be off to a, a good start for the week. Yep. Or is off to the, <laughs> off to a good start this week. All right. That could be. <laughs> yeah, Athanasiu scored a goal, so he had one goal, one assist, two points tonight. Philip Deneau had two goals, one assist, and Kempe <sighs> had one goal, so... I speak of his uh, offensive Yeah, you clearly did your research, Marcus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only did Phil Deneau have two goals, one assist tonight, he had seven shots on goal, which is a lot for a guy who is usually known for defense and not necessarily offense. So it's too bad we didn't get this out to you uh, in time for Monday, but for those of you who follow along with our strategy anyways, hopefully you had taken advantage of that ahead of time. So uh, looking at New Jersey is another team that plays four games this week. Damon Severson plays defense there. He's only owning 3% of leagues. I actually picked him up last week uh, because they had a back-to-back and I had a slot, essentially a defensive slot for two games in a Friday-Saturday showdown. And so I decided to pick him up. He gets you hits and blocks and he's also putting up some decent points. That's a team that's a little behind in terms of they haven't played as many games as other teams, but the games they have played have been really competitive and they're doing a lot better this year than they did last year. So that's one thing to take a look at. The other one is uh, Jesper Bratt, left slash right wing. He's only owned in 2% of leagues, but he's been fairly reliable for that team, especially in just a weekly kind of pickup range. Again, Marcus has mentioned this a couple times. These are guys that are owned in you know very little amount of leagues. So these are guys that are probably available in your leagues. So just take a look at them, see what their stats are. If you're not happy, go with somebody different. 
for sure. I mean, obviously, if there's a better player available, then go with them. But, yeah, these are just guys who potentially are available in your league. Uh, next, we have the Pittsburgh Penguins. Jeff Carter. He's only owned in 39%. I probably owned more earlier in the season, but as Crosby has come back, and Malkin is still on the IR, but um, Crosby got as COVID, Crosby though. comes oh, okay, so he, maybe Jeff Carter's getting some more time again. Yeah. So he's he's definitely floating between that first-line center, second-line center position right now on the Pittsburgh Penguins, so he's a guy to look out for. Uh, next, we have Kasperi Kapanen as well, left wing, right wing, only in 13%. So I think the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in general have been pretty depleted. Um, they've had some tough go with COVID and um, some injuries to start off the season. So look for some of their some of their lower ranked players to really get some more ice time and have the opportunity to score some points. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Rust has been on the IR for a while for them as well. So Rust, Crosby, Malkin, like some of the top-end guys. So that's, like you said, you know, Carter stepping in. He's getting to play first-line, second-line minutes, which is awesome. And then Kasperi Kapanen, he had a hat-trick last week. So these are guys that are available. They can definitely put the puck in the back of the net. And uh, they're both flex spots, which is nice. Center slash right for Jeff Carter and left slash right for uh, Kapanen. So they kind of slide in wherever you need them. The next team I want to talk about is St. Louis. They have four games this week. Robert Thomas is having a great start to his season, center slash right wing. He's only owned in 10% of leagues. So go ahead and take a look at him because not only as a pickup drop kind of guy, but he actually has some potential to be one of those guys who could stick on your team throughout most of the season, I think. And the other guy is Ivan Barbashev. He's center slash left slash right. So he can play any forward position on your team. He's only owned in 24% of leagues, but yeah, he's having a pretty decent start to the season as well. Much like most of the St. Louis Blues, who are still, I think, top two in that uh, that division right now in the Central. So, yeah, take a look at those St. Louis guys. They have four games this weekend. They have been playing some good hockey. Another team is our hometown team, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, most of their top-end players are <laughs> are taken. But there is Jake Muzzin on defense, uh, owned in 43% of Yahoo Leagues. He definitely will get you some hits and blocks usually. And he can he can chip in the odd assist as well. Definitely has the skill players to pass to. So keep an eye out for him. Absolutely. And the next person that we have on our list here is from the Vancouver Canucks. He plays right wing is Vasily Podskolzin. He is owned in 4% of leagues. And he's getting some opportunities up in uh, in Vancouver, out on the West Coast there. So he's only 20. He's a young kid. He's kind of just been given a, a nice shot this year. But he was a 10th overall pick in 2019 by the Vancouver Canucks. So he does have that upside. He does have that talent. And they are giving him the opportunity to play with some of their higher-end talent. I know um, Elias Patterson is having a pretty slow start to the season. But some of these other guys have been picking up the slack for them. So take a look at him. And last on our list, we have the Washington Capitals. Uh, we have Nick Dowd, who plays center and right wing, one percent in owned in one percent of Yahoo leagues, and we have Martin Fervery, owned in one percent of Yahoo leagues. He plays defense. All right. Well, that uh, kind of ends the segment there, where we're talking about teams with four games this week, and those are some players you can take a look at. Remember, it's also important to just go into your player section for your league. Like, it's possible there's guys who have been dropped by other teams that are just available in your league that are significantly better and have more value to you and your team based on the needs that you have. So 
you know, for example, like myself, unfortunately, some of the defensemen I drafted this year are having really poor starts to the season. So for me, I've really been zoning in on who's available at defense, who can I pick up, who can I rely on to give me those positive and just consistent uh, categories in my fantasy roster. So don't be afraid to just take a look. I know for us, like we only have two IR spots and there's guys in our league, such as myself, who have been dealing with multiple injuries throughout most of the first four weeks. And I've already had to drop guys who are pretty good players just because I couldn't wait until they got back from injury. So it's always good to keep an eye out at the players who are being dropped just in case. And then if you have free IR spots, you could always just pick somebody up and throw them on the IR as well. So just another strategy point there. And uh, the last thing we want to talk about here is teams with only two games. Um, So these are teams to maybe avoid if you're picking up guys. Unless it's like a one or two game situation where you're getting late in the week, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, you just want to use up the last pickup that you have for your week, then I would avoid these teams so far in the week. Tampa Bay, Dallas, Columbus, Colorado, and Chicago. So three C's, apparently. Columbus, Colorado, Chicago. Uh, Dallas and Tampa. Those are teams with only two games this week. So maybe you want to pick up some guys on other teams just because they'll get you more games, which theoretically should get you more individual statistics per category. The last team I want to mention is actually the New York Islanders. The Islanders only have one game this week. So I would highly recommend avoiding the New York Islanders. I believe their one game is also Wednesday. So it's kind of just like smack in the middle of the week. Oh. Yeah, kind of, a, kind of a random one. So I would I would certainly avoid the Islanders this year. Uh, this year. This <laughs> just, week. Yeah, period. <laughs> in fantasy hockey. Don't touch the Islanders. Don't even think about touching the Islanders. <laughs> uh, Marcus, I picked the Islanders to finish top three in the Metropolitan Division. So I did pick Doesn't the mean Islanders. their players are good. Yeah. Well-rounded. Lou Lamorello, Lou Lamorello will score. Dude, Brock Nelson has seven goals this year already. He is starting out hot. Thank you very much for listening to the Faceoffs and Fantasy Podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. This wraps up episode number seven. Again, if you wanted to give us a quick follow on Twitter or like or Marcus, I don't know how it works. You're the social media guy. But <laughs> if you wanted to uh, follow us and uh, and send us some stuff, feel free to. It's Faceoffs Fantasy. Uh, that's our Twitter handle. Handle, yeah. Oh, there you go. I got handle, so that's good. That's our Twitter handle. And if you ever wanted to comment or send us a message, let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. We are more than happy to have discussions on this platform based on the feedback that we get from you as listeners. So thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate your support. And that's a goodbye from me. Thank you, everyone. Have an excellent week.